Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. There are so many things that I love about living in a city like Orlando. There's always something exciting to do. Yeah, coming right up is the Home and Garden Festival. Not long ago, we went to that Van Gogh exhibit. That was incredible. That interactive Van Gogh show. That well, it was wasn't incredible. interactive. Don't, was don't mislead yeah. people. <laughs> immersive. They'll yell at you in the lobby. <laughs> that happened. Another story for another time. <laughs> um, I, was, I was looking for upcoming events, and I, I couldn't believe it. Coming up in March... Billy Joel is going to be performing at the stadium. Oh. And I cannot wait to not go and see that. I am super excited to not go. I cannot wait to not hear Piano Man again for the (laughs) 8,000th time. Come on. Only the good die young. You know, in, in all seriousness, I really didn't like that song. But then after listening to it a few times... It's really not it's it's really not a very good song. No, it's <laughs> it's awful. And I think it says something to um how not good Billy Joel is. <laughs> because he's old now. Right. So yeah. he obviously did not die young. <laughs> oh Lord. I'm sorry, we're being very mean. That's right. But I I heard he was mean to someone I love once. So Come on, Billy Joel. Haven't we had enough? <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm I'm I want to move on because I'm, Billy Joel makes me so mad. Okay. <clears throat> Do you mind if I start? I, I, I see that you have your, your phone already up and ready to go. I'm so. ready to go. Do it. Okay. Leopold was an officer in Napoleon's army. Leopold's family moved around quite a bit from posting to posting. He was battling a rash of smugglers in the mountains. And one night thought by many to be the night of June 24, 1801, on one of the highest peaks in the Vosges Mountains of eastern France, on a journey from Luneville to Bessesson, Leopold and wife Sophie got to making the beast with two backs, if you know what I mean. What does that mean exactly? Making the beast with two backs? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, what do you... (laughs) Okay. There you go. And from that boarding of the beef bus, Sophie (laughs) conceived. You make it sound so romantic. Yeah. (laughs) Boarding the beef bus? Never heard that. Really? I love that, though. (laughs) Toot, toot. (laughs) Victor Marie Hugo was born February 26, 1802 in Bessasson in eastern France. The elder Hugo was fond of telling his son that his life was destined to be unique as a result of that high-altitude snog. (laughs) Okay. Today... The air air pressure effects? I mean, he was not wrong. Okay. He was pretty pretty fantastic, right? Uh, Okay. Today, the precise location of Hugo's conception is marked with a stone tablet in this place... Victor Hugo was conceived, which seems weird, but as we will discover, a lot about this one was. Outside of France, Victor Hugo's best-known works are Les Mis and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Well, well, I'm sorry, Notre Dame de Paris, which I guess The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the translation into English, uh, Victor Hugo was not impressed with. But anyway. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. He also produced more than 4,000 drawings, which have since been admired for their beauty and earned widespread respect. But he didn't want to release his drawings while he was writing for fear that it would take away attention Uh from his writing. So he was a bit of a Renaissance man but kept it to himself. Now, Les Mis was published in 1862. The novel contains five volumes, 365 chapters, and the original French version, 1,900 pages. Wow. It is considered to be one of the longest novels in history. That even beat Stephen King. By the way, how does he possibly write that much, Stephen King? He must be like sitting at his at his computer 24 hours a day just typing shit. Just the sheer volume of it. Just the act of filling pages with characters. I don't know how he does it. Most of the time, it's just jibba-jabba. Like, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> yeah, that, that did take up a few pages. What's interesting about Notre Dame de Paris was that it was an effort on Victor Hugo's part to point out the importance of Gothic architecture. The story is set in 15th century Paris and tells the tale of Quasimodo and Esmeralda. But for Hugo, Notre Dame Cathedral was the most important character of the book. Hmm. It turned out to be extremely popular, of course, and it lanced a period of Gothic revival across France and Europe. It led to major renovations, and the, the Notre Dame Cathedral that we see today is in thanks to Victor Hugo. So yeah, he had some incredible work that we all know and love, but there was also a little a bit different there there was some different stuff about he had okay. he was a little different is Ex- yeah explain please yeah as an adult hugo was very committed to his writing but he also knew his limitations he knew that if he was dressed if he was in his fancy garb then he was likely to get up from his writer's table and tootle about town ah. and he was not going to let himself do that so he would ask his servants to leave him in his room but before they left he would give them his clothes <laughs> he would have them lock up his pants yep 
His clothing would only return if he had finished writing for the day. If it was very cold, he was allowed a blanket, but he did not need the distraction of knowing that he could, one, leave, or two, you know, just admire his own fancy pants. Right. So he he actually wrote Les Mis while he was naked? Yep. That gives me a whole new perspective from the author. (laughs) But um, Victor Hugo did a lot of things nude. Oh, really? Records state that Hugo's sex drive was enormous, that he was insatiable. Really? He apparently would have sex multiple times a day with multiple partners. He would start the morning off with a young sex worker and then sometime around lunch, maybe bang it out with an actress that Hmm. he knew and then uh, meet up with a a famous lady of the eve (laughs) at night. Uh, But it was not rare for him to meet with multiple ladies in a day. Every, Every day? Every day. There are 83 instances of lovemaking recorded in his diary during a period of four months. Wow. Just before he died at the age of 83. Shut up. up. So, I mean, you can imagine the natural course of things means that at 83, things had to have been kind of slow, right? Right. Comparatively. You'd you'd think. Nope. No. When Hugo died, all the brothels in Paris were were closed for the day. <laughs> they were flying the flag at half-mast, so They to speak. indeed were. Mm. Apparently, according to a police officer in the city, all of the sex workers draped their genitals with black crepe <laughs> as a mark of respect. If one of them was menstruating, was that a mourning period? Victor Hugo also hosted a nearly constant parade of at-home parties. God, we need to invest in some not-squeaky chairs. For anywhere up to 30 guests for dinner multiple nights a week. This guy had energy. I have to build up my enthusiasm to... uh to put gas in the car. It is like a struggle, even considering 30 people at your house every day. Yeah. What? That's nuts. He had a party trick that he did, which was to shove an entire orange in his mouth (laughs) and then fill his cheeks with as many lumps of sugar as he could and then churn it all up and glug it down with two glasses of Kirsch. Wow. Now, after he had uh, quite a bit of orange-infused boozy booze and uh, lots of late-night, you know... Dalliances? Oh, that's a great word, by the way. Yes. A lot of guests would want to stay the night. Of course they would, and he invited them to do so. I'm guessing it's in part so he could bang some of them. <laughs> but also because he had, and this is this is kind of creepy, um, he had drilled peepholes in the bedroom. No. Yeah. He was a peeping he Hugo. Was, he was a voyeur, uh, for sure. It's unclear whether or not the people staying knew about these holes. Ah. Uh. So it may have been consensual. It may have been. Okay. I am. I do not know. In 1881, there was a citywide celebration of Hugo entering his 80th year and a national holiday was decreed. Hugo sat and waved at a procession of 600,000 people as they walked past his front door. Wow. Now, by this time, he actually lived on a street that had been named after him, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so... Um, when he would get letters, they would be sent to Mr. Victor 
on his avenue, Paris. <laughs> Those were simpler times. I love it, right? Victor Hugo was also exiled from his home country for a period. He had a real problem with Napoleon. In 1841, he was elected to the Académie Française, which was a French council, which was a French council that held authority over the French language and all matters concerning to it. Now, in 1851, Napoleon III came to power and called for an anti-parliamentary constitution. This really angered Hugo, and so he publicly denounced the new leader as a traitor to France. Wow. And then had to go to Brussels. Did he go to a brothel in Brussels? You know he did. He went to a Brussels brothel. Then um, he went to Guernsey, an English island off the coast of Normandy, where he lived in exile from 1855 to 1870. No kidding. And while he was exiled is where he did most of his work on Les Mis. He... Mm. He finished it in exile. Took off his pants and started scribing. Yep. Also, you may not know this, but Victor Hugo is a saint. Saint of what? Yeah. So... um, The patron saint of pantsless literature? The patron saint of boning? The patron saint of creped genitals? The patron saint of high altitude pound town? Um, Just a bit outside of the city formerly known as Saigon, there's a temple considered to be the home of Kodaism, which is a Vietnamese religion with over 5 million devotees. Followers of this religion believe in the coming of an age called the Great Amnesty, and this is the unity of all world religions, creating universal peace for mankind, which is a lovely thought, isn't it? It is. It's beautiful. Well, Hugo was inducted into this religion in the 1920s. He was seen as a prophet, and his role shifted according to the needs of the believers ever since. He is still looked at for guidance. It's in part because of his humanistic ideals um, that you can see in his writing, like Les Mis and so on and so forth. Right. But also because he made himself a kindred spirit to the needs and searchings of youth living under colonial regime. Okay. So in Vietnam, they were experiencing something very similar about like 50 years after his death that in France they were experiencing during his writing times. And of course, Vietnam was a French colony. It was also because one of the founders lost one of his children, as did Victor Hugo, and they both reached out to them during seances, and they they believe that they, they connected somehow that way. This sounds like a cool religion. Right? <laughs> anyway, so um, Victor Hugo, he was a high-altitude, conceived, banging it out, nude writer, slash artist, slash saint, and uh, definitely had an interesting life, um, and we it's unclear whether or not he was a sex predator. <laughs> there, there's some speculation well just that, because or? of the voyeurism like okay. i right. you know yeah, if sure. yeah that's that is a little creepy but i would think that if you wanted to stay at victor hugo's house you probably had a pretty good idea of what kind of guy he was at that time most people would know i would think they would just guess that yep. he had drilled holes yep. into their bedroom walls <laughs> Hmm. I think I think they were just grateful that he probably didn't, you know, just barge in without pants on and a writing quill. Did did they write with quills then? I suppose you could. I guess. I got most of my information from The Guardian, Wikipedia, of course, Dental Floss and, uh, no, Mental Floss and Discover Walks. 
dental floss. It's, if, see, I'm distracted because I'm trying to I'm trying to Photoshop a mullet onto Jimmy Kimmel's head, and I just I cannot focus on two things at once. Well, I understand. And now that thing in the middle. The first ever fax machine was invented in 1843. It was called the Electric Printing Telegraph and was invented by Alexander Bain. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated at Ford's Theater on April 15, 1865. And Japanese samurai warriors weren't abolished until 1868. So it's theoretically possible that for 22 years, a samurai could have sent a fax to Abraham Lincoln. Have you noticed the subliminal messages we hide in these liners? Damn right you haven't. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's 
A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Jim sent us an email, okay, thought it was just coincidences that you guys have these boo effects so frequently thinking maybe it's also because married people and folks who spend a lot of time together also can develop a mild psychic connection, which is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. With us. It's freaky. It, it's a little bit scary. But he says, it's a little creepy now. You guys rubbed something off on me. I listened to Box 396 today at work wherein you reported on the Festival of Exploding Hammers, one of your topics. Mm -hmm. When I got home today, my wife and I were relaxing after dinner, started two movies that we didn't feel like watching after starting them, so we settled on a Nat Geo show with Will Smith called Welcome to Earth. Oh, yeah. Guess what they show in the first episode? <laughs> <laughs> the Festival of Exploding Hammers. Well, you said it happens a lot with people who spend a lot of time together, and... <laughs> We spend a lot of time together. I said, are you freaking kidding me? I just heard about this today. There is something substantial in this boo effect worth studying. <laughs> I feel all weird and stuff, but I love you guys and the show and feel like part of a freaky club now. Thanks, guys. Jim from Ohio. Uh, yeah, it is weird, Jim. It's really strange. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that we, we probably get five to ten emails and or uh, Facebook references to uh, boo effects, bizarre synchronicities and coincidences. Yeah, every day. Every day. It's nuts. And as far as you and I, oof, we'll oh. just randomly start yelling lyrics to some obscure song at the exact same time, at the exact same point in the song. It makes no sense at all. I don't get it. I think I've convinced Kat that... Uh, we're living in an alternate reality. Right. That you're we're, not real. <laughs> we're in a computer simulation. That's what I tell her all the time, that I'm not real, that you created me in some sort of a computer simulation. Well, I have to say, if I was going to craft mentally a husband, <laughs> uh, I mean, you'd be pretty close. Oh, you're gross. Shut the hell up. What do you know? You're not a computer programmer. <laughs> all right. Teddy Roosevelt was president of the United States from 1902 to 1909. And during his presidency, his daughter, Alice, lived with him at the White House. I love 
Alice Roosevelt. You're familiar with Alice? You know I am. Roosevelt and the way she lived her life. She's a sassy little oh, bee. Oh, she sure is. By this point, Alice was a young lady and an outspoken eccentric one. One day, President Roosevelt was in a meeting with the novelist Owen Wister. And during the meeting, Alice burst in to the Oval Office, interrupting the president and his guest to offer him advice on how to handle a particularly sensitive political issue. (laughs) It said that uh, Roosevelt looked at his guest and he sighed and he said, quote, I can either run the country or I can attend to Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. My goal in life is to be a woman who cannot be attended to. (laughs) Alice was a bit of a handful. She had a keen sense of humor, a keen sense of uh, self, and wasn't afraid to express her opinions or to buck social norms. And even as a child, she wasn't easy to look after. This was probably due to a very unusual upbringing. From birth, her childhood was surrounded by tragic events, and a lot of strain and stress. When she was born on February 12th, 1884, her mother, Alice, died just two days later on Valentine's Day. She passed from an undiagnosed kidney failure. Um, A few short hours after Teddy Roosevelt lost his wife, he lost his mother. His mother died, too. and I guess his grief was just all-consuming and understandable. And much has been written about the double loss of Teddy Roosevelt. And it seems as though the grief was just too much for him to bear. So what Teddy did was he left young Alice with his sister Anna. And then he went out west and had some adventures. Um, Those were the days when you could just abandon a child. And it was looked upon as good fun. Everyone deals with grief in different ways. His sister Anna was affectionately known as Aunt Bai. And Aunt Bai had a huge influence on Alice. Aunt Bai was very outspoken and a bit eccentric. Alice said uh, later, quote, if Aunt Bai had been a man, she would have been president. In 1886, Teddy finally remarried. And he married a woman named Edith Caro. Poor Edith. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. At this point... Alice rejoined her father and soon was joined by five half-siblings. And by soon, I I don't mean like within days because that would be biologically impossible, but over a period of... Well, I mean, like she had five. I don't know what that term is. What's between quadruplets and sextuplets? Pentatuplets. Hey, Siri, what's the term for having five babies? Okay, I found... Quintuplets. Okay. You can have quintuplets. I knew that all along. I knew that word all along. I did not look it up. So Teddy had a problem uh, calling Alice by her name because that was his deceased wife's name. Right. And so he would call her Baby Lee. And later her uh, nickname became Sassy. And Sassy was the perfect name. Alice gave zero fucks. She was a woman who spoke her mind regardless of whether her opinion was popular or not in a time when women normally didn't speak their mind regardless of how popular their opinions were. Right. Her stepmother, Edith, was tasked with raising her from 14 years old on. And Edith referred to Alice when she was just 14 as, quote, a gutter snipe, which... That's not nice. No, it's not. But I, I love that word. It's fun to say, and I plan on working it into my vocabulary. 
Now, about this time, Teddy Roosevelt was extremely concerned with his public image because of his rising political career. And Alice caused him so many headaches. She was frequently in the newspapers. Paparazzi was a thing even back then. Mm. She was always seen in public either smoking, chewing gum, or wearing pants. Oh, pants. I wonder if she did that all at the same time. That would be mega scandalous. There was one newspaper photographer who actually snapped a picture of Alice collecting her winnings from a bookie. (laughs) (laughs) Teddy and Edith tried everything to rein in Alice. Uh, They even once tried to send her to a girl's school in Manhattan. And the idea was they get her in some kind of a structured environment and maybe they could curb her, her erratic behavior. But when Alice found out about it, she wrote them a note saying, quote, if you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you. And apparently they didn't want to call Edith on that Mm. uh, because they knew she'd probably follow through on that threat. So needless to say, she didn't attend that girl's school in Manhattan. Ma'am, that's blackmail. One year after Teddy Roosevelt became president on January 3rd, they held a coming out ball. For Alice. Oh, she was a Deb. She was a debutante. This was, of course, at the White House. And this was a common high society event at the time when a young lady becomes of age, they present her to society. And Alice was becoming the darling of high society as well as the darling of the everyday person. Her coming out party was a huge event, and she appeared in a gown that was such an unusual, distinctive shade of blue that it became known as Alice Blue. And it was all the rage. People loved her and her sassy ways. So after her coming out party, she entered into society and she didn't waste any time getting hooked up. Now, a woman in high society in those days, pretty much your responsibility was just social events. Right. And Alice was determined to have fun. Uh, Looking at her social calendar from that period spanning about a 15 month period. uh, During that time, She attended 407 dinners, What? 300 parties, and 350 balls. No. Alice had a lot of balls. I like big balls. She likes big balls. And even though she loved the social scene of high society, she was also still very quick to curse or tell a filthy joke. (laughs) In fact, a friend of Edith's once described Alice as, quote, A young wild animal that's been put in good clothes. Now, even though she was operating in the highest circles of high society of the day, she would still do things that were not socially acceptable for a woman. Teddy, he got so frustrated. He's president of the United States, and he he opens the newspaper one day, and on the society page, uh, there's a picture of the event, and in it is Alice just smoking a butt with her legs crossed like a man. (laughs) So Teddy'd had enough. He called her into the Oval Office and gave her a stern talking to. I don't know if it was, in fact, in the Oval Office. But, but that's how you picture it? In my head, yeah. He, he said, come in, sit down. I need to talk to you. And then he proceeded to uh, tell her, there will be no smoking in the White House. We do not smoke in the White House. And to appease her father, she agreed. And then immediately proceeded to climb out on the roof of the White House to smoke her cigarettes there. Well, she wasn't in the White House. That's true. Uh, when my dad found out that my sister had been smoking, he found a, an ashtray with cigarette butts, you know, sticking out uh-huh, of it. Uh-huh. It was in 
I think in the basement or anyway, it doesn't matter. And um, so the way that he dealt with that was to um, find her and then be like, hey, hey, you wouldn't believe what I found in the in the basement. A porcupine. There's a porcupine in the basement. And so she was like, what? And of course, I mean, that's very exciting news, right? Sure, so, sure. you know, he's like, oh, well, be so quiet because you were going to go see this porcupine. Uh-huh. And so real quiet, like snuck down and and he opened up the door to the closet where the ashtray was. And, and then, oh, there it is. There's that porcupine. You see that porcupine? Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, yeah, I see that. I see that porcupine, Dad. And he was like, now probably we shouldn't have porcupines in the house, right? We shouldn't have porcupines in here, right? That's great. Yeah. That's very creative. Well, he was a creative kind of guy. My grandfather caught my uncle smoking when he was younger. And his method was very different. He said, uh, hey, you haven't finished these cigarettes. And then he made him eat them. Eat them? Yeah. That could have killed that child. That's the family I grew up in. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, Alice continued to smoke on the roof of the White House and still at parties. She also, she would, she would shock partygoers because she would bring her pet to parties. And her pet wasn't like a cute little puppy. She had a snake named Emily Spinach. <laughs> that is an excellent name. This is why I decided to do this topic because... It sounds like something you would name your pet. See, I was thinking it sounds like something you would name your pet because, I mean, you had that weird bike yeah. bike name cat. Yeah, when once. I was like two years old, I got a little kitten and um, they, my mom and dad said, you can name the kitten anything you want. And I said, what should I name it? And they said, name it some of your favorite, name it after a favorite thing. And so my grandmother, I called her Nana, and she was my favorite because I was her favorite grandchild, and she doted on me. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked my tricycle. Sure, of and course she did. I was also fascinated with the mirror on my chest of drawers, but I didn't know the word for mirror, so I just combined all of that into the name for my cat. My cat's name was Nana Tricycle Chest of Drawers Glass. <laughs> Nana tricycle chest of drawers glass. Yeah, we had a hard time engraving that on her tag. (laughs) So anyway, Emily Spinach, uh, the snake Emily Spinach, she would uh, wrap the snake around her arm and take it to these high society parties with her. And the public loved Alice for this. In 1906, Alice decided she was going to get married. And she married a guy named Nicholas Longworth. He was a Republican congressman, and the guy had a bit of a reputation as being sort of a playboy. Sure. You know, he is fast with the ladies. Isn't it interesting that we both talk about eccentric people today, including man whores? (laughs) Needless to say, Teddy didn't like man whores. (laughs) He wasn't pleased, Uh, but... Of course, he knew there was no stopping Alice once she set her mind to something. Alice do what she want. They got married at the White House on the 17th of February, 1906. Over 1,000 guests attended, and there was an overflow crowd waiting just outside, hoping to perhaps catch a glimpse of the newly married couple. Now, the the wedding thing, that includes one of my favorite things about Alice. I'm probably getting to it. What are you thinking about? 
she cut her wedding cake with a sword. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Apparently she wasn't big on uh, wedding traditions or rituals. I get it. So when it came to the cake cutting ceremony, she's standing there. And of course, you know, this is high society and important people. She's surrounded by military personnel. And so she reaches over and unsheaths the sword of a Marine and slices up the cake samurai style. <laughs> And in my mind, I, I see her serving it by flicking pieces in on the, on the end of the sword into people's mouths. All I can think of is like, when was the last time that sword was sterilized? Yeah, it sounds weird, but back then it wasn't uncommon for one to lick their weaponry. <laughs> so they cleaned up the mess from the cake and uh, they were officially married. But her husband, the playboy Flandering congressman, did not change his ways he continued his extracurricular dalliances, but Alice didn't care because she was busy having her own affair with a senator named William Bora, <laughs> a man twice her age. And this lit up the society pages. People were fascinated with this scandal. And Alice loved the fact that people were speculating about right. this. And it wasn't long after word started circulating that uh, Alice became pregnant and bore a child. <laughs> Did she bore a child? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. She named the girl Paulina, but um, most people, historians even today, believe that that uh, that Bora was in fact the child's father rather than Alice's husband. And Alice, known for her wicked sense of humor and uh, a bit of a provocateur, if you will, Considered briefly at one point naming her child Deborah, as in Deborah. Oh, Deborah. Deborah. Bora. Wow. Just to see what people would say. You sassy minx. But she settled on Paulina. That's fine. Now, there were times when Alice was able to rein it in a bit, and Teddy Roosevelt, when he was president, and he was president until 1909, appreciated that. In fact, according to the White House History website, there's a letter that Teddy wrote to Alice after she'd been on a trip to Puerto Rico. It said, quote, you were of real service down there and your presence was accepted as a great compliment. And it would be like that for a period of time. Alice could be helpful diplomatically. The public loved her. The papers loved her. They called her Princess Alice. Hmm. Uh, there was so much mail for Alice at the White House that they had to hire a person to just deal with her fan mail. Oh, wow. And just as the president thought he could trust his daughter, um, he sent her on a 1905 diplomatic trip to Asia. She ended up having Asia a few too many and uh, jumped in the swimming pool with all of her clothes on and then, <laughs> and then goaded a congressman who was present to also jump in with his clothes on. <laughs> This, of course, made the papers and humiliated President Roosevelt. Now, Roosevelt, as I said, he stepped down as president in 1909, but Alice wasn't real happy about that, and she didn't like William Howard Taft, who was replacing uh, her father in the White House as president. Alice was so pissed that she created a voodoo doll of Taft's wife and then buried it in the front yard of the White House. <laughs> And then she told everybody about it. So when it was discovered, uh, they banned her. The Taft administration banned her from the White House for life. But of course, Taft wasn't president for her life. But that still didn't keep her from getting banned a second time. Um, she told a dirty joke in public about Woodrow Wilson, who was then the incumbent president. So when he became president, the Wilson administration banned her for life. <laughs> 
Later in life, Alice became incredibly attached and particularly close to her granddaughter. She took over her granddaughter's upbringing because her daughter, Paulina, unfortunately died of a drug overdose in 1957. So Alice raised 11-year-old Joanna Strom, and they adored each other. I guess they both had like kind of a sharp tongue and a wicked sense of humor, and they amused each other, so they got along great. An article in American Heritage in 1969 said the presence of Joanna in Alice's life seemed to be a notable contributor to Mrs. Longworth's youthfulness. A friend of hers said that Alice, quote, has been a wonderful father and mother to Joanna. (laughs) Mostly father. (laughs) And Alice, of course, is certainly remembered for her wild behavior in her day when she was younger. But she's also remembered for that quick wit and her cutting insults in later years. Once she was at a social gathering, and of course, it was important for people to make connections with her because she was still quite influential. Sure. A a new senator came up to introduce himself, and he called her Alice. And the look in her eye, she had this steely cold look in her eye, and she snapped back, quote, you will not call me Alice. The truck man, the trash man, and the policeman on the block may call me Alice, but you may not. And some of her snappy comebacks and humorous quotes and insults have lived on. When describing a particular politician who was trying to buy his way into into office, she said, quote, he sprang from the grassroots of the country clubs of America. (laughs) (laughs) Another quote was, never trust a man who combs his hair straight from his left armpit. (laughs) When describing her father, she said, quote, my father always wanted to be the corpse at every funeral, the bride at every wedding, and the baby at every christening. <laughs> when the press asked her about a new member of Congress, she said, quote, he looks as though he's been weaned on a pickle. I'm not sure what that means. But... Weaned on a pickle would also be a great title for this episode. <laughs> in an interview in a magazine in the 1930s, she said, quote, I value my independence and I have from an early age. And I was always something of an individualist. Well, a show off anyway. (laughs) On Washington, D.C., she said, quote, it's a town full of successful men and the women they married before they were successful. When asked to describe what she's good at, she said, quote, my specialty is detached malevolence. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make that a (laughs) T-shirt. One quote she was particularly fond of, in fact, so much so she had it embroidered into a cushion. Alice said, quote, if you haven't got anything good to say about anybody, come sit next to me. (laughs) Alice lived a very long life. She was friends with most of the major politicians throughout her long life. In fact, she met every sitting president during her day, with the exception of Jimmy Carter. Was she allergic to peanuts? No, no. She uh, refused to meet Carter because she perceived him as, quote, lacking social grace. <laughs> Amazing. She was particularly close to President Nixon during his career, but when Nixon resigned as president, he used a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. He said, quote, only if you've been to the lowest valley can you know how great it is to be on top of the highest mountain. And that pissed Alice off because Teddy said that about the death of his wife and Alice's mother, and she felt that quote was off limits. She was so furious There were witnesses in the room. She's watching Nixon resign on TV, and she was so furious, uh, she spit on the TV. Wow. Spit in Nixon's face. 
Alice lived until February 20th, 1980. She was 96 years old when she passed. Shortly before her death, she was asked what her secret to longevity was. And she said, the secret to eternal youth is arrested development. And that is so true. Mm -hmm. Now, as I said, Carter was the only sitting president during her lifetime that she uh, refused to meet. Even so, when she died, Carter said this, quote, She had style, she had grace, and she had a sense of humor that kept generations of political newcomers in Washington wondering, which is worse, to be skewered by her wit or be ignored by her? (laughs) My source information, the Vintage News, Wikipedia, Britannica, and the Washington Post. Alice. That was fun. It is hard to believe that we are about halfway through the month of January 2022. That means your ho- your favorite holiday is coming up. Halloween. <laughs> oh, that's right. Halloween. No, I was talking about uh, Valentine's Day. I know you love Valentine's Day. Do I? Well, that's what you tell me every year, You how much you love Valentine's Day. Do I? Maybe that was somebody else. Well, now we're breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> Valentine's Day, though, is a good time for you to order your loved one some boo merchandise. Right. Nothing says... You're the one for me more than an eat a bag of dicks t-shirt. Right. Or a prepare your pork taint hoodie. All available on our website, theboxofoddities.com. There's a little button up there. It says merch. That'd be the one to click. Yeah. I'm going to work on some new merch with Alice Roosevelt quotes. (laughs) Thanks a lot for hanging out with us, you guys. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. One, two, three. All right. And away we go. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.